The following message was preached at Flint Hill Baptist Church. We would love for you to join us on Sundays for life groups and worship, or on Wednesdays for adult Bible study, kids, and youth activities. For more information, visit flinthill.net. And I think, uh, you know, we're in this series, Revive Us, O God, and uh, we have, we're going to be in this for some time, uh, for several weeks now. And uh, just really on my heart, I believe God is, He has been, and God is renewing us in these days. I believe that. I believe God is a God who is very personal, very near to His people, and desiring for us to know Him personally and intimately. Uh, Jesus said to abide in Him will bear much fruit, but apart from Him we can do nothing. Central to the, to the Christian doctrine is that God is personally invested in us and that He calls us by name, personally, to know him into this relationship. And it's not just for something down the road, like heaven. It is right now, right here, for us to live, to, to, uh, to, to enjoy, to know him, and to be known by him. Uh, the psalmist had it right. I think revival comes in the heart of a child of God when we are still before the Lord. Uh, I have to be, I'm guilty. I am guilty of running wide open sometimes. My mind can run wide open. I can be sitting here having a conversation with you, look over at Bruce and think something else in my mind at the same time. It's a bizarre thing in my world. Uh, my mind runs and races. I really believe revival begins when God's people's mind becomes consumed with their personal, passionate love relationship with their Lord. Um, yes, you're still going to live life. Yes, you're going to still go to your job. Yes, you're going to still be mom and dad or whatever in your home and your world. But things are different now because you're aware of God presently with you every moment, every day, everything that you do. And that's when God begins to revive the hearts of his people. So we're in this thing. We're, revive us, O oh God. Uh, I've, got, I've got a couple scriptures. We're going to get, if you want to open your Bibles to Revelation chapter 1, we're going to get there in just a moment. Revelation chapter 1, we're going to look at the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ, as he appeared to John on the island of Patmos in just a moment. The title of my message today is, Where There Is No Vision, the People Perish. If you've been around church long enough, you probably have heard that verse. It comes out of Proverbs 29, 18. King James says, Where there's no vision, the people perish. The NIV says, Where there's no revelation, the people cast off restraints. Make no mistake, uh, when he talks about when there's no vision, when there's no vision, clear discernment of who we are and what we're called to do, then all of a sudden everything else gets thrown away. Uh, when it talks about casting off restraints, it means it in a, a negative way. In other words, the, the vision that God has for his people keeps us focused on what God wants us to accomplish in the world in which we live today. If we don't see God clearly, then we'll never see his mission clearly for what God's called us to do. And then anything we'll do, and we'll cast off the restraints of what, what do I mean by that? We'll cast off the responsibility of living out my faith before others. We'll cast off the responsibilities as a body of Christ. It is possible for a church to become consumed with something other than the Lord and his purpose and his mission in the world today. Last week I shared, there's a pattern in scripture where God's people tended to depart from the Lord. We see that over and over again. They depart from Him, His purposes, and His words. We see it at Mount Sinai of all places, that Moses goes up on the mountain of the Lord to meet with the Lord personally. 
he comes down in what we know as the Ten Commandments. And you would think the people are eagerly waiting on him to come back with words from God. But no, I mean, y'all know the story. If you've been around long enough, you can look at it in Exodus. But the people have forgotten about the Lord and Moses. It's quite humorous in one sense. They thought, well, where did he go? He just left. I mean, it's like they have departed so much. They, they even went back and grabbed. I mean, if you, when you read the text there, uh, they come back and they got this little calf. They're starting to worship. That's a picture of an idol in Egypt. They've gone back to the idols of Egypt and forsaken this God that had redeemed them and called them out. I mean, so quickly God's people departed. You know, in Psalm 19, we looked at on Wednesday night, it was really a cry. David looked in creation and saw the Lord's handiwork, and he looked into God's Word and saw God being revealed through His Word. And, and the, the, the only fitting response, David ends that psalm, he, he says, May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. It's the heart cry of a Christian, of a child of God, that wants to be right with the Lord Walking in that personal, intimate relationship with Him. So Proverbs 29, 18 gives us a stern warning. It says, where there is no vision, the people perish. In Revelation chapter 1, we're going to see here in just a few moments how God reveals Himself to uh, the Apostle John on the island of Patmos. And when we see that, because when we talk about vision, what do we see when we think of the Lord? How do we see Him and how does He see us? And we're going to see in these next seven or eight weeks how God begins to look at each of the churches there in Asia Minor. And it's for us as well today. We've been in the book of Ephesians for almost a year on Wednesday night. We just turned the corner. And, and Ephesus is the first church we're going to get to next week. So anyway, so here we are in Revelation chapter 1. So first and foremost, let, let me, um, let me do, try to give a little introduction. If you'll look in chapter 1 of Revelation... Verses 1 through 3, it says, The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. And he made it known by sending an angel to the servant John, who testifies to everything he saw. What was that testimony? That is the word of God and the testimony of the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take it to heart what is written in it, because the time is near. A couple things here about just in the book of Revelation. The context, obviously the immediate context, the church, the God was bringing a word to the churches in Asia Minor. Uh, they were under persecution and uh, uh, all kind of issues going on within and without, for sure. Uh, John's on the island of Patmos because he's being persecuted. You'll see later on in verse uh, 9, he says, uh, suffering and, uh, and the kingdom and patient endurance that are ours. He's on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. So we know John is exiled there because of persecution, because he's bearing testimony that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, that he is the only way to have forgiveness of sin and the assurance of heaven. And he preaches that gospel. And because of that, there's within and without all kinds of persecution, and he finds himself there. Now the source, just three things here right in this present context, um, the source is the Word of God and the testimony of Christ. The blessings just here at the very beginning of Revelation 1 is this. God wants us to read it, hear it, and receive it. That means do. Listen to the Word of God. Don't just take it in your ears and forget about it and walk away. It'd be like someone looking in a mirror and forgetting what you look like. He wants us to receive it, uh, read it, hear it, and receive it. 
And the last thing in the context here, just at the beginning of the book, is in, at the end of verse 3, he says, the time is near. Now, there's a, there's a context here when we think about the scriptures. There was an immediate context. The time was near. This time was drawing near. It meant something to them in the first century because in the first century, the apostle John's about to pass away. They're about to move into another generation where all those that walked with Christ, talked with Christ, lived with Christ are moving on. And now this, this church age is beginning. But there's also a context in here when he talks about time, not in chronos, like time, what time is it? But a season of time. And all throughout the scriptures, particularly in Revelation, there's a time drawing near. What is that time? The return of Christ. He is coming back again. We just declared that. We just sang a beautiful song about that. About those clouds opening up and the trump of God and, and the return of Christ. And here at the very beginning, so I want to understand the context here. The return of Christ impacts the way I live today. As a Christian, in other words, if I want to know Christ and be revived and on purpose and see him and be obedient, to what, then we will always live. God's people have always lived in the context that the return of Christ is imminent. That Jesus may literally come back any day. He, look, he really could. Now, I know we've been hearing that for a long time. But friend, listen to me. He's coming. I hope you're here. I, please, God, open our ears. He's coming. How does that impact my life? It, it, am I still going to go to my work tomorrow? Yes. But it should reorient my life to what his vision and his purpose and his mission in my life and in this church and in this world today. We ought to be about his business because he's coming again. And so, so we see this in the, the immediate, the, the, there's a present context. There's also a future context, and I kind of glossed right over that. Uh, if you just stay with me there, turn at the end of Revelation. It's always good when you're looking at a book, look at the first chapter, look at the last chapter. In chapter 22, in the context here of the book of Revelation, we see the future context. In verse, um, in verse 8, John, it says this, I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I had heard and seen them, I fell down and worshipped at his feet. Uh, and then the angel said, don't do that. Don't, I'm, I'm not the Lord. You worship God only. And then in verse 12, he says, Behold, I'm coming soon. My reward is with me. I will give to everyone according to what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Later on in verse 17, the Spirit and the bride say, Come. Let him who hears say, Come. Whoever's thirsty, let him come. Whoever wishes, let him take the free gift of the water of life. Verse 20 says, He who testifies to these things, yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The context, not just the present, it has impact and influence in our lives, but there's also a future context. The Lord is coming back, and when He comes back, He will deal with His people and the world in that moment. Now, I want to get to really the, the, the heart of what I want to share today is the vision of the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ that John sees. Uh, in this moment. So if you will, look with me in verse 12. So we're, he's on the island of Patmos and on the Lord's day, the Bible tells us. And in verse 12, he says, I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among them lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet with a gold sash around his chest. His head and his hair were white like wool as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice 
was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining with all its brilliance. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though I were dead. Then he placed his right hand on me, and he said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I, I, I was dead, and behold, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. So in this context, in this moment, John turns around and sees this one like the Son of Man. A couple things here. Whenever we get into the Scripture, any kind of Scripture, let Scripture interpret itself. Uh, in other words, what do I mean by that? In verse 12, when he says, I saw the seven gold lampstands, take your Bible. i got to turn the page. I'm going to turn the page to verse 20 of that same chapter. Because in verse 20 of chapter 1, in other words, the Scripture, what is the seven... Uh, where it says, what are the seven golden lampstands? It's real simple. Verse 20, the mystery of the seven stars you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels or the messengers of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. So there you go. So a good rule of thumb whenever we're reading the Bible, let Scripture interpret Scripture. That's just a good, good rule. And in this case, it helps us to understand. He also mentions that he saw someone like the Son of Man. Now I say this, um, I'm going to turn back, if I can here, to the book of Daniel, chapter 7. In Daniel chapter 7, because that phrase, Son of Man, was one uh, that was a prophetic term, title that was given to Christ, and he embraces that. And John, it, it, when he says those words, one like a Son of Man, he's going back to the revelation and the vision, the prophecies, that all the way back to Daniel. So in Daniel chapter 7, verse 13, Daniel makes this statement. He says, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, sovereign power. All peoples, nations, and men of every tongue worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. He's speaking about the resurrected Christ there. And that's a great picture of that. So when we look at, I mean, let Scripture interpret Scripture. Let's, in other words, the Son of Man is a reference. Let's, let's let the Word of God help us to understand what's going on here. Um, I, I'm going to make this statement. John MacArthur made this statement. He says, Christians do not worship a well-meaning martyr or a dead heroic religious leader. However, Christians worship a living Christ, who indwells his church to lead her and to empower her forever and ever. I mean, it's all throughout Scripture. This is a glorious moment for God's people. And when John sees him, this one like a son of man, this vision of him in this moment, he's reminded of that prophecy in Daniel. The reality, the truth of it. You know, sometimes when we talk about our vision, without, if there's no vision, the people perish. Sometimes our vision of who Christ really is is diminished in our own eyes. I think revival comes when God begins to elevate himself. We just, we just read it in Psalm 46. Be exalted among the nations. That doesn't mean geographical. That means people, me and you. God revives the hearts of people who elevate Jesus in their vision, in their eyesight. When I look up to him, when I elevate him, when I magnify him, when I give him glory. As Habakkuk prayed, God, I've heard of your deeds. I've heard of your glory. Renown. Do it again in our day. When God is exalted in our eyes, revival happens to the heart of God's people. 
And so, so John in this moment is getting a clear picture of the resurrected Jesus in this moment. So let's look at the description that he has real quickly here. Because when we look at this, uh, I've read this already. <laughs> the vision of the resurrected Lord Jesus, it's very specific what he sees. The first thing you notice is the robe with the gold sash. It obviously represents royalty, uh, for sure. The, the, the robe was also worn by the high priest. This word robe here in your New Testament was the same in what they call the Septuagint, which is the Greek uh, Old Testament. And every time that word's used, it references the high priest. What does that mean? He's emphasizing Christ's role as the great high priest for his church. Uh, it, it is clearly his role. He's the one that has forever, we know this by the word of God, he entered uh, not through the blood of goats and bulls, but through his own blood, he entered into the holy place once for all, having obtained an eternal redemption. So praise the Lord. He's our high priest, and he sees that. The second thing he notices, we see in the scriptures, this description is he's white like wool, blazing with fire. This vision, this of the resurrected Jesus. Um, now, what does this mean, the white like wool blazing with fire? It, it really speaks to the work of the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. And hearing this, hear this, chastening, that's a fancy word, and purifying his church. When we think about the white like wool, we think of purity. Chastening would be a process where the impurities are removed from that to make it pure. And then, and then so in, in other words, he brings rebuking and, and correction and conviction into the hearts of his people. This is what the Lord does. So when he sees that, he sees one who is pure and also one on fire, blazing with fire. Um, again, this is a reference to 7-9. He says, Their thrones were set in place in the ancient of days. He took his seat. His clothing was white as snow. His hair of his head was white like wool. And his throne was flaming with fire. Over and over again in the New Testament, we see Christ's role in our lives as a church. I don't know if you I don't know everyone's story yet here in this fellowship, but we're going to continue to work on that. Jesus Christ died and rose again that we might know him personally. And as a church, collectively, we are the body of Christ. He is the head of his people. Now, I don't want to shock anybody this morning, but this isn't all the Christians there are in McCall, Alabama today, or Bessemer. Y'all with me? Am I messing? If it messes you up, talk to Bruce after the service. That'll be fine. <clears throat> God's got his people and he is the head of his people and one of his responsibilities for us is to keep us focused on his vision and when we lose sight of what God's called us to do as a people he'll chasten us and he'll purify us and he'll bring things into our world and our life that will refine us to why to seek him to turn back to him that's the whole idea of revival but make no mistake, he has that power and authority in our world today. Not only that, but his voice is like the rushing water. MacArthur makes a statement because John's on the island of Patmos and the waves probably were beating the, the side of that island and he could hear the roaring of that. Uh, I've made reference to Niagara Falls. I've been there a couple times. And man, if you've ever been to the river or any river, they're just the roaring sound of that river. And in this context, it speaks to the authority that the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ has for his people. 
To John, his voice was now just overwhelming. Very much like those waves crashing on the shore over and over and over again. This is the voice of sovereign power. This is the voice of supreme authority and the very voice that will one day command the dead to come forth from the grave. When Christ speaks, the church must listen. Y'all remember this at the transfiguration. You know this in Matthew 17, 5. The Lord spoke this word over him. He says, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. I cannot say this enough. Listen to him. Him. He, he, he wants to speak into our heart. Revival, when we talk about revival being renewed in our walk, it's when God speaks to our heart personally. It's when we hear from him and know him personally. Now, friend, don't get me wrong. we got great friends. I hope you have great friends. I've got people that speak into my life uh, constantly, whether I want them to or not, but they speak into it. But the voice that needs to be speaking into my heart and our hearts today collectively as a church is the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the one to whom, to whom we will answer for everything that we've done. Whether good or bad, we will answer to Him. But let me say this too. When God speaks, lives are changed. With a spoken word, He calmed the storm. With a spoken word, He called Lazarus out of the grave. With just one simple word from our Lord, fear can be vanquished. Courage can be instilled in the heart of a person. With one word spoken, a soul can be saved. I mean, it's just amazing. When God speaks, lives are changed. When we talk about revival, so God, I'm, I'm saying, God, speak to us. Lord, open up the windows of heaven. Open up my heart to hear. Maybe I should pray that better. God, open my ears to hear from you. Maybe going back to Psalm 46, maybe, Lord, I just need to sit still a little more often. We tend to be a real busy people. I don't know if you've noticed that. We tend to fill our life with all kinds of stuff to do. I'm not sure how effective we are at much of what we do. But when it comes to living the Christian life, there is no place where you're going to find sustenance and renewing except in the presence of Almighty God. We would do well this morning to remember Mary who sat at the feet of Jesus, who took the time to, to value every word that he spoke. John heard that voice, and he said it's like the rushing water, the authority, the power of it. In his right hand, held in his right hand, he had seven stars. Uh, these seven stars uh, reference the angels or the messengers of the seven churches. Some people kind of go back and forth. What is, he, is it the real angels or is it messengers? It's the same word. The same word in your Greek New Testament can reference an angel or it can reference a messenger. It's the same Greek word. In this context, I, I, it just seems to me, because I mean, right on the heels of this, there's going to be a word given to seven specific churches in Asia Minor. And it makes sense in the context when we look here that that reference of angels would reference messengers that would have come from Ephesus or Laodicea, would have met with John, and John would have handed them the word of God to take back to the people in those areas. It makes sense there. Now here, here we come to a, few, a couple other, the last two descriptions of the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. He has a sharp, double-edged sword coming from his mouth. Comes out of his mouth. Now, this references what? 
the protective presence of the Lord Jesus Christ among his people and his body of Christ today. I referenced earlier that the churches at this time in the, in the late first century, they were, they were extreme persecution. John's on the island of Patmos. But there was also war within. There were others who maliciously would come into the house of the Lord to, 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 to take God's people away from the gospel. To weigh away from what God had clearly said. This is who you are. This is what I want you to do. And they began to lead God's people astray. And so when, we, when John sees this, this picture of Christ, this double-edged sword from his mouth, it references God's powerful protection for his people. As much as you might want to protect your family, God protects his family. He loves his family. He sacrificed, died, and rose again. But he, in this picture here, he is... He is intentionally going to do all he can to protect and preserve his family here on earth. And he's actively engaged in that. Um, the last thing is this, that he had a face shining like the sun. The resurrected Lord Jesus Christ reflects his glory through his church. You know, one of the questions we should ask ourselves, why are we even here today? Why do we even exist as a church? And there may be multiple answers. I mean, all kind of wonderful things. Maybe serve other people, give to the poor, do all kind of stuff. And wonderful works. I mean, all this stuff. Lead people to Christ. Yes, 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 yes. But make no mistake, God has knit us together for the purpose of magnifying His glory to the world around us. Let me remind you, church. I mean, come on. I mean, I just finished a wedding yesterday in Ephesians chapter 5. It's all about husband and wives, but it's about the church and the bride of Christ. And through the word of God, God is cleansing us. Why? So that in our purifying hearts, his presence, his glory is shown brightly for the world to see. It's unmistakable. God intended us as his people to reflect his glory to the world around us. Now, I got to be honest. If I was there and I was John on the island of Patmos, and I turned around and saw this voice, and I saw this image. I wish I had this image right here. I mean, it would be a pretty, pretty frightening moment. I'm just going to be honest. Right in front of you, right? Um, look at what John does. I mean, he, immediately, what does John do in verse 17? When he saw him, he saw this vision, the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. He said, I fell, fell at his feet as though I were dead. Where there is no vision... The people perish. I can almost guarantee you, when we don't see clearly who Jesus really is, we will not be about his mission in the world today. We will be consumed with things that have nothing to do with eternal life. John, in this moment, sees Jesus for who he really is. He sees the, the majesty, the power, the authority, the, the, everything you can imagine. It is just overwhelming him, and he falls down before the Lord in worship. He's afraid, and certainly should be. Certainly, and I hope, I hope this doesn't mess you up, but one of the effects of this vision in his life is fear. fear the, the Bible says the, the, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. I think in our culture today, we've kind of turned away from that, and we say, oh, I don't want to fear the Lord. He's my best buddy. He is a friend like no other. I get you that, but he is God Almighty, and he can do whatever he wants, whenever he wants. But fear... Fear that John experiences here leads him to worship. He recognizes in the, who he is and who in, in, in the presence of. 
And he's not worthy to stand up. And I would submit to you, neither are we. Yes, we're covered under the blood of Jesus. But if God so manifested his glory today, listen, he's done this throughout Scripture. I can almost guarantee you're not going to be sitting in your chair. You're not. You're going to fall on your face before Almighty God. And you say, how do you know? Over and over and over again in Scripture, God shows up. God's people fall prostrate before him. They fall face down. Why? Because they're scared to death and they want to worship the one true living God. You see this over and over again in Daniel and Isaiah. Over at Solomon at the temple. When God shows up, God's people fall before him. Acknowledging his power, his majesty, his greatness in glory. God be glorified. We, I pray that all the time. I say that. God be glorified among your people. Be lifted up. The second thing that we see here out of this vision, which I think is so beautiful, and, it, and, it's, and it's a beautiful thing because we need, we need to hear this, and you see it on the screen, is assurance. When John sees the resurrection of Christ, he sees the magnitude, the, the, the majesty, the, the power, and the authority, and he humbles himself before him. And what does he do? He comes over to him and places his right hand on him, a hand of comfort. A hand of assurance. A hand that says, do not be afraid. Literally, it says, stop being afraid. Don't be afraid. Over and over again, God gives to his people that face great difficulty and struggle. Don't be afraid. Be courageous. Be, be uh, uh, full of his word. Be full of courage. Over and over again, God gives assurance to his people that accurately see him for who he really is. It's a beautiful thing. The assurance of the Lord. The first thing in this assurance, he says, I am. This is the covenant name of God. Over and over again, I am who I am. He is clearly referencing uh, way back when God revealed himself to Moses. He's bringing it all to fruition. He says, I am. I am present. I'm here. I'm now. I'm with you. And I'm never going to leave you, John. And he would say that to us today. I, I don't know what you're walking in or what you're walking through. But friend, he is a God who is, I am. Present right now, right here with us. He goes on to say, he says, I am the first and the last. It was a title of God given in the Old Testament. In other words, it talks about that he is the only true eternal God. There's none like him. All these idols will come and go. They will all go. But I was here before and I'm going to be here after. I'm going to come. I am the eternal Lord God Almighty. And he goes on to say, he says that I am the living one. And he, and he makes this statement. He says, even though I was dead, I'm, I'm alive and alive forevermore. And he, and he brings back to the fact that, I mean, God is, God is forever alive, but he has also, by his grace, provided us eternal life forevermore. He conquered. He says it there. I hold the keys of death in Hades. That, that's a reference to his authority. He, he knows how to unlock the door. It has no bearing and no authority over him. His death, his resurrection, the blood that he spilt forever dealt with that. So John, John in that moment feels the assurance of not just the present, but forever and ever and ever in that moment. The eternal assurance. And I would say to me and you here today, oh Lord, where there's no vision, the people perish they cast off restraints. Here, here's what I will say. God, would you restore unto us a biblical, clear vision of who you really are? 
You are the Lord God Almighty, and there's none like you. God, restore to us clear vision. Let, 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 Gavin, come on. Where are you? Come on. So at this point, we're going to have a time of response in just a moment. I'm going to pray for us, but let me be clear here. When we go through this series, Revive Us, O God, I am praying and believing for every one of you that God would revive us and renew us in this day. That God would make himself known to you. you I'm not saying that you need to have a vision like John had on the island of Patmos. But I do think revival begins when our eyes see him as he really is. He is the Lord God Almighty forever and ever the Alpha, the Omega, the first and the last, the only true living God. So maybe today, please hear me, please hear me, maybe today there's someone here today, maybe you don't have the assurance or the hope that John experienced on the island of Patmos. You might be walking through some challenging, difficult moments right now in your world, your life, I'm going to stand on God's word. Humble yourself before him. Look to the Lord Jesus Christ personally. Let him be who he says he is. The eternal one. The Lord God Almighty. As a child of God, look to him. As John looked at him on that day. Humble yourself before him. And may the hand of the Lord reach out and touch you. And give you assurance that he's with you and never going to leave you nor forsake you. Friend, there may be somebody here today that has never trusted Christ personally as their Lord and Savior. When I talk about assurance and I talk about seeing the Lord and knowing the Lord, it's kind of foreign language for you and your ears. So in just a moment, I'm going to invite you to come to Christ. I'm going to pray in just a moment. We're going to stand. We're going to sing a song. But be clear to me. Please, please hear me. If you are here today and you don't know Christ, you don't have that assurance that John understood everlasting assurance today's the day to confess Christ turn to Christ trust in him personally as your Lord and Savior let's pray Father we just want to praise you today God you have promised in your word that we are blessed at the reading of it and at the hearing of it and at the receiving of it God would you bless your people today would you give us eyes to see you clearly. God, I pray you'd move on our hearts, help us to respond as you would have us to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Stand with me, church. We're going to sing this song of response. You come. I'll be down here waiting on you.